0: Good morning. Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. 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 It is good. It is good. It is good to see you, to be here with you on this morning. I salute the praise team. Hallelujah. I salute. Yeah, you can't see them. They're off camera, but they are in the house. Amen. Our studio audience, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We salute you. We are so close to getting to the place where we'll be able to worship with you first. Before we bring the Word of God, and we're excited about that. Again, final pieces are getting in place. I'm just excited about what God is doing. I'm excited about the Word of God. And God has given me a word to share with you. It's a continuation from last week. I want you to ask yourself what is it about the Word of God? Why is it so dynamic? Why is it so powerful? Why is the Word of God lasted even till today? And according to the Word, will last forever. Nothing in the Word of God will ever change. I told you last week that I was driven by God to focus on His amazing Word. And as I thought about it and examined my own life, I found there's never an incident arisen that the Word of God could not guide me through. His Word is sufficient. As a matter of fact, that's something that uh, you should put out there on your own page. Post it, tweet it, put it in the comments. His Word is sufficient. But what is it sufficient for? Well, His Word is sufficient for my every crisis, my every sorrow, my every pain. The Word of God can transform every situation or person because... Built into it is the ability to fulfill whatever God desires it to accomplish. You see, power is the ability to affect change or produce a desired effect. And the power of God's word can be reconciled in this way. It has the ability to affect change and produce a desired effect. Our ministry's foundational scripture teaches this truth as uh, related to us in the word of God. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says this, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So every time I read the scripture, my faith is empowered and my soul leaps with great joy. Because the unstoppable power of God's word sets it apart from every other word that is declared by everyone else in history. There's a television commercial that says when E.F. Hutton talks, everyone listens. Well, I'm here to tell you that there is no word that commands your attention greater than that of the word of God. You see, unlike our words, God's word can't uh, be frustrated. His word can't be stopped. His word is always purposeful when it goes out from his mouth. And that purpose will always be achieved. There's never a moment in history where God spoke something and it didn't come to pass. Where God said something and it just didn't meet its purpose or it missed the mark or it was slightly to the left or slightly to the right of where he intended it to end up. God's word is 100% of the time on time and it accomplishes 100% of its purpose. God's power is never random or out of control but God always has a plan that he intends to fulfill. Well what is his plan for me? What is this plan for you? You may be thinking to yourself. Well, let's take a look at the power of God's word a little further this week and find how it relates to us by seeing how it related to creation and opening a doorway of understanding to how its word relates to our soul. I told you just a few moments ago that God's Word is sufficient. It's sufficient for everything. Let me show you how God's Word was sufficient in creation. When the writers of Scripture want to illustrate the awesome power of God, they often point to His creation. A matter of fact, the psalmist declares, by the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all of their hosts. This is found in Psalms 33 and 6. Check the text. Now, the word declares in verse 9, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. See, referring to the earth and all of the mighty oceans that are gathered together into one place and all of the land that is gathered together into one place. Let me just pause right there to remind you that the very word of God is alive in you waiting to be declared to fulfill God's plan in and through your life. Yes, God has intertwined his word in you in such a manner that when you speak according to his will, his word is activated and what you have declared not only happens, but it will stand and not fade away. That means that when you're speaking, you're speaking into history whether it be your own history or the history of something else or someone else, when you speak, you are speaking with power because the very power of God that fades not away is what is being exuded from your lips. To speak a a world into existence is power beyond anything that any of us truly can imagine. Genesis 1 records again and again that God said, and it was. God said, and it was so. This is creation referred to as ex nihilo, making not just something out of nothing, but everything that is seen and unseen, known and unknown is out of nothing but his word. No human can accomplish this. No other spiritual power can accomplish this. The devil cannot accomplish this. But God speaks two words in the Hebrew text of Genesis 1 and 3 which could be translated light be and light bursts forth having victory over darkness. He speaks again and the dry land appears time after time. God says the word and whatever he commands comes into being. God simply works out his will through his word. God wants to work out his will in your life Through his word that's been planted in you, demonstrating his power over all the power of creation and everything in it. I like the way Paul puts it. He says that God calls into being that which does not exist. Romans 4 and 17. And this great oracle of God's word emphasizes God's power in the middle of discussing Abraham's faith in God's promise to give him a child. You've heard me teach upon this promise between God and Abraham and all the uh, interventions that Abraham and Sarah made trying to bring about what God declared. And even though he and Sarah were way too old to become parents, in fact, the Bible says that in terms of their ability to bear children, both Sarah and Abraham were as good as dead. Ha, even a dead thing is no problem for God. His word to Abraham is, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Genesis 18 and 10, check the text. Read the word and discover its power in your life. You see, the power of God's word on display in an even greater way is demonstrated in the birth of Jesus, who is the promised son of which Isaac, Abraham, and Sarah's son was typed like you see Luke one twenty six through 38 is an incredible passage of scripture that tells of the angel Gabriel announcing to Mary that she was going to have a baby you know the rest of the story Gabriel informs Mary that uh you know she's going to be with child by the Holy Spirit so the one she bears will first be a miracle Jesus is the first miracle child and if God can plant his eternal preexistent son in a virgin's womb without breaking her virginity, then nothing is impossible for him. No word that God speaks is impossible for him to accomplish. This means it doesn't matter who tries to stop God from carrying out the word that he has spoken. The enemy can throw up all sorts of defenses and may even appear to be winning sometimes because God allows human choices and human failings to be a part of his plan. But God guarantees that even though those things will be incorporated into his divine program, his word shall never Fail. No matter how long it may take, it doesn't matter what has happened, God will accomplish his objective. His word is sure and effective. Even if you have to lose everything to gain more than you ever had, what God has declared cannot be derailed. As I live and breathe today, what God has declared over this ministry, GMFC, will come to pass. I've seen great victories. I've enjoyed great successes, but I've also seen great defeat and I've suffered great loss in this life. I've gone from a living room to our own church building and now a converted basement into the production studio of God's production company. And it may look like to some GMFC has died, but I told you, even dead things God can do something with because God's word is full of life and he has spoken this ministry into existence and the impact that he has declared that GMFC would have has not yet been fulfilled, but it shall now be fulfilled and his glory has not left us but it fills every morsel of our being. God not only brought the universe into existence by the power of his word but his word also sustains creation. The writer of Hebrews says it like this, of Jesus, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the power of his word. God sustains what he brings into being. Take a look at 2 Peter 3, 5 through 7. You see, this is part of the good news of our salvation. The reason you can't lose your salvation is that what God creates, He keeps. So what does that mean for us, the believer? Well, every believer is what? According to 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, every believer is a new creation in God. And no one can snatch them from the hand of God. John 10 and 28 through 30 tells us this. And since God has created you, he will sustain you. That means God is your keeper. Silver and gold I may not have, but what I have is more precious than all the valuables in the earth. I have Jesus, the keeper of my soul and the sustainer of my life. You see, God's word is sufficient for my soul. From the vastness of creation to the inner workings of the human soul and spirit, God's word is all over. When you believe in Jesus, your spirit which is your capacity to relate to God is made alive by the Holy Spirit. The soul is the self-life or the human identity, your mind, your emotions, and your will. God's word has the power to pierce into the deepest recesses of our being with laser-like power and precision. We know this and are confident in it because why? His word declares. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit and of both joints and marrow and and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart and there is no creature hidden from his sight but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have to do. Hebrews 4 12 through 13 declares this for us. You see, the Bible is not a compilation of dead words on a page, but are words that are alive and filled with power, which is the idea behind the word active. You see, the Bible is a living document because it is the word of a living God, animated by the living Holy Spirit that has been planted in us. Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that God's Spirit was moving or it was hovering over the waters in the earth at creation, breathing life into creation. The Holy Spirit is doing the same thing with the word that, is, uh, that he did in creation. He's doing it in us. The spirit is intimately connected with the word and it brings it alive to every hearer and every reader with the result that we are not to read the Bible the way we read a novel or a history book We read other books to get information or to be entertained, but we should read the Bible to receive life from it and allow it to penetrate our hearts, the inner core of our being. People may ask you, how can they know when the Bible is really beginning to come alive to them? Well, I have a simple answer for you. The Bible is alive when it begins to go to work in your life, when transformation takes place, when you become transformed, because that's what Hebrews 4 and 12 tells us. The Word is designed to do this in us. It changes and conforms you to the image of Christ. Well, the writer of Hebrews likens the Bible to a two-edged sword that cuts on both sides as it is thrust into its target. Now, Roman soldiers carried this type of sword, which uh, were kept extremely sharp. And when a Roman soldier would use this two-edged sword on an enemy, it penetrated deeply so it could have maximum effect. Now if this imagery seems a little graphic to you then you're getting the idea you're just scratching the surface of what God's word is intending to do in you. God's word is so sharp and powerful that it can plunge into us like a sharp sword that cuts not even just to the bone but into the marrow inside the bone. No other book can reach down into a person that deeply and bring about the effects that the Bible can. It is the Word of God. In other words, God wants His Word to perform spiritual surgery on us, He wants it to reveal what it is in us. To us, the Bible says the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17 and 9. Check the check, check the check, check the check. The answer is that no one can understand the human heart perfectly. No one that is, except God. He knows our deepest thoughts because we are completely exposed before Him matter of fact, you ought to put that in the comments. I'm naked before God. Nothing is hidden. I'm here plain to see. I have no secrets before my maker. This explains why people testify that when they read the Bible, they feel as if it is looking into the deepest recesses of their minds and uh, into the hidden places of their heart. It's a good thing to be probed and exposed by the incision that God's word makes in your life. Because that's when you really deal with deep-rooted sin and begin to grow. You see, we have too many surface Christians. Too many in the, Christ, the Christian faith or uh, too many uh, are, are in uh, a fight with their Christianity because they don't want the Word of God to work in them. They want heaven but they do not want to give up who they are or who they believe themselves to be in the earth. An example of this is seen in marriages. Let me just bust your bubble for a minute. Many women don't want or they they desire to be a wife, but they do not want to give up being in control over themselves. They resist to submit to their husbands and as a result, disrupt the peace and joy that comes with, biblical, uh, uh, with the biblical description and position that a wife holds in the relationship dynamic. Amen. Then what occurs is constant struggle for position and power within the relationship. And this prevents the fruit of marriage from being experienced and there enjoyed. Make no mistake about it. One of the riskiest things you can do is give the Holy Spirit permission to open you up and do spiritual surgery on you. But it's also one of the most important things that you can do. It's something you must do. For the same reason that it is important You give your doctor permission to operate on you When you have a physical issue It isn't until you submit to the surgeon's knife That real healing can take place It isn't until you are personally Transformed by the word of God That you can discover your own spiritual healing That will enable you to shepherd others Into a similar experience of spiritual healing It's amazing that medical science Is such sophisticated equipment that doctors can look inside a human heart while it's beating to see what in the world is going on. And a skilled heart specialist doesn't just look into your heart like an impartial observer who simply is there to record what they see without making any adjustments or decisions. The doctor critiques or evaluates the situation based upon what his examination reveals. Well, Hebrews 4 and 12 says that God God's Word is doing this same examination in you. It's critiquing you. It's looking into your thoughts. It's looking into the intentions of your heart. And we may assume that most of our thoughts and intentions are fine, but ultimately, we are incapable of making that sound judgment. We need the Holy Spirit to take the sword of the Word and slice and dice, uh, open right up down to the core of our being to see. Separate what is good from what is worthless. Amen. You see, through the power of God's word, you will come to see yourself as God sees you. You will also come to see God in ways that you could not have seen him otherwise. You see, God's purpose is for his word to remake us from the inside out, conforming us to the image of Christ, His dear son. The power of God's word is discovered when we cooperate with the purposes for which God gave us his word in the first place. The word will always accomplish God's will, which is good and perfect. The will of God is not defiled. Religion has taught us to dress up the exterior so that we can appear as if we are right. But God's word addresses our inner need for correction and direction in the heart from where the mouth speaks in the first place. I tell you standing here as a pastor it is my duty to get the word of God to as many people as possible so that the word can do the work it was designed to do. And this is why the enemy has been fighting me so hard and attacking me on every front but I refuse to relent in preaching the word of God alone. If pastors and leaders of God's congregations across this world do not get people to engage with God's word through their sermons, through their teaching through their instruction they are not doing their job and as a matter of fact they need to find another calling because they have been chosen as an instrument through whom God distributes the truth in his word now people have to pay attention to learn and and they have to pay attention to hear and if they're not paying attention to you then you need to find a way to keep their attention because nothing is more important than to transfer of God's word to a world that's sitting in a place of need. I'm not called to preach social reform. I'm not called to preach wealth as a focus. I'm not called to preach to the racial injustices in this world. I'm called to preach the word into the hearts of mankind. And if I preach the word into the hearts of man, all these things that I just declared I'm not to preach are fruit of the seed of the word that has been planted I'm not a harvest preacher I'm a seed preacher and you may wonder why I may be this way well I learned a long time ago from a former friend that I have that if there is no seed that's been planted in the field you can just stop talking about or even preparing for a harvest because no harvest can come without a seed being planted from You have to plant the seed. Men and women of the leadership, congregations, you have to receive the seed so harvest can come. You have to understand the word of God is sufficient. God's word is comprehensive in its ability to speak to every area and every need in your life. There's no life issue that we will ever face that's not addressed either by direct command or by general principle in the word of God. God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. 2 Peter 1 and 3, check the text. Everything I need is found in one place and that one place is is the word of God. Now I've been preaching and studying the Bible for over 21 years yet I have only begun to tap into the endless vein of its truth of God's word. Every time I go to the word there is something new that I didn't see before. There's something deeper I didn't understand before. The Bible is inexhaustible in scope and thus it is sufficient for life. You see, someone has said that while the Bible is so deep that theologians can spend a lifetime plumbing its depth, it is so simple a child can read it and understand it. The sufficiency of Scripture is such that every age can learn from its teaching. Matter of fact, Paul put it uh, like this uh, in, in Doctrine. He says it, 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 it's, it's kind of covered in this compact statement, which he wrote All scripture is inspired by God and therefore profitable for teaching, or what we refer to as doctrine, uh, for reproof, for correction, for training or instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped. For every good work You'll find that instruction in 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 Now as I begin to move in the direction of my closing Notice I didn't say I'm closing I'm just moving in that direction I'm no longer climbing the mountain But I'm, I'm about to peak the, the top So I can run on down But Psalm 19, 7 through 14 lays out the sufficiency of the word in a very beautiful and clear uh, description. The psalmist David makes multiple statements about the ability of God's revelation to address every area of human existence and in particular every area that we as believers need to know to please God. Now These verses also speak to the all-consuming desire we should have for the Word and reminds us that God's Word alone keeps us from sin. Verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 19 form a backdrop to this poetic tribute to God's Word. They deal with the general revelation, the evidence of God written into every atom of creation and made available to every person. It's important. The psalm begins with a declaration. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. In other words, even someone who can't read or doesn't have a Bible can still know beyond a doubt that there is a God. The reality of God ought to be clear and simple just by observing the world that is around us. The Bible never spends time defending the existence of God, but says instead, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, Psalm 14 and one. You ought to put in your little note or in your comment, I'm no fool there is God you see people have to be taught not to believe in God because it is natural for a human to look around them and above them and below them and conclude that something bigger than them something more powerful than them made all of this that they see it's also natural for people to worship or at least try to placate the higher being they know is in existence you see, just reading Psalm 19:1 through 6 makes it clear that God's revelation of himself in creation is powerful and profound. Amen. But general revelation is limited. It is enough to condemn the sinner as Paul said in Romans 1, the 18th uh, verse through the 23rd. In fact, those who reject or pervert his witness or this witness uh, in nature are without excuse according to verse 20. Because they did not follow it to its logical conclusion, which is to seek the God of whom it speaks. But general revelation is limited because it's not sufficient in and of itself to save the sinner. Psalm 19 and 3 says of the heavens as God witnesses there is no speech nor are there words their voice is not heard. We can look at the stars or or, or the oceans and know that the creator God must be great and powerful but we must go to his word to learn that he is speaking to us. You see, we can be eternally grateful that Psalm 19 doesn't end with just verse 6 or that Romans 1 doesn't contain only condemnation for uh, uh, a matter of fact. We need to consider this psalm, numerous declarations and descriptions about the glorious sufficiency of the Word of God. You see, God's Word is perfect. And restorative, David begins the hymn of praise by saying the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Now law is simply another term for the scripture. David must have wanted to begin with the most important aspect because he described the word of God as perfect, that which is whole, complete, not lacking in any area. The Bible is complete in its revelation of divine truth. And the second half of this phrase in Psalm 19 and 7 shows us the benefit of his perfect word. It restores the soul. Now this is a picture of something being brought back to its original condition, being revived or refreshed. The Bible is sufficient to make what has been broken and restore it so that it can reflect what it was originally created to be. Much like you Might restore an old piece of furniture to its original beauty, so the word is designed to restore you to your original glory. Well, what is the soul? The Hebrew word Nefesh refers to the essence of your being, who you are at your core. Your soul is you, your essence. It comprises not only your mind but also your emotions and your will. And when a person dies, that soul will either go to heaven or to hell. The key to experiencing transformation in Christ takes place within our soul because our soul is what has been created for eternity. The problem with our souls is that they have been contaminated since our birth, making our soul distorted. Have you ever been to uh, one of those amusement parks? Typically, your state fairs will have a lot of this. Uh, the mainstream parks don't really have a lot of this anymore, but the state fairs, you'll see this, uh, the, the mirror room. And when you go into the mirror room, it makes you look fat. See, like what you see right now is just a reflection from the camera. It makes you look fat. Now, sometimes it'll make you look skinny. Skinny. Sometimes it'll make you look tall. Sometimes it'll make you look short. Sometimes it'll make you look crooked. But whatever it does, it doesn't really reflect who you are. There's a distortion that's being projected back. And this is what has happened to our soul. To varying degrees, the effects of sin have engrafted themselves into our souls. And the soul needs to be fixed. But the soul can't fix itself. Conventional therapy will tell you. And it's geared to have you first accept the concept that I am broken. And that it is okay to be broken. Because if you refuse to accept the truth of your brokenness, you will never ever enjoy full restoration. And most of the time we are trying to get the soul to fix the soul, but that will not work. That just doesn't work. It works just about as well as getting distortion to fix distortion. I I call this approach the self-soul management approach. It's not the restoration the psalmist is speaking of. Rather self-soul management is when We spend time, energy, and money trying to make our souls better. We make resolutions and promises that are tied to the soul and its influence on our body. We determine that we will spend more time in the word of God. We cut back on unhealthy food. We start walking more and exercising more. Or we stop watching entertainment that negatively influences us among some things. We need to be especially careful that we don't focus on self-soul management. Because it may help for a while. But only true restoration is lasting. And only God can bring about soul restoration through the power of his word. Jesus died on the cross not just to take your soul to heaven but also to deliver your soul in history and when Jesus returns your soul will be fully restored. God's word gives wisdom. David goes on to make a second statement about the word of God in verse 7 and it declares the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. You see God's testimony refers to his truth as revealed In scripture Only God's witness Is 100% true Because he himself Is 100% true And as a result His word is completely solid And trustworthy You can build your life on it That's what the psalmist meant When he said The word is sure It's like a rock As opposed to something That is unstable and flimsy Jesus used this contrast In a famous parable of the wise man who built his house upon the rock and the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rock held firm in the storm while the sand gave way because it is ultimately an unreliable foundation. What I'm seeing too much in the body of Christ is too many believers are building their house not upon the rock Jesus but upon the sands of this life and when the storms begin to blow their life is shook and things begin to fade away. Now the difference between the two men that are listed in the parable that Jesus is talking about was whether they heeded or ignored the word of God. You see that's what makes a person wise in the biblical sense. When you heed the word you are wise because wisdom is the application of biblical truth to your life To build your life Intentionally upon God's word So you are ready When the storms of life hit Until your belief In the living word Is obe- obeyed It does not become activated In your life experience If you don't read Believe me read First Thessalonians 2 and 13 You can check the text It will tell you until you are Apply and work what you declare you believe, you will fail to experience results. You see, the pastor's ministry has to be built on the foundation of biblical application. Jesus makes it clear that this is to be a foundational issue for building a house, and the local church is called God's household. 1 Timothy 3 and 14, or 3 and 15, and 1 Peter 2 and 5. Calls the church the house of God. Now, pastors serve as stewards over his house. And God has entrusted us with the sacred task of equipping the people of God to bring their lives into conformity to God's word. If you come and ask me a question, I'm going to give you the word. If you ask me for advice, I'm going to give you the word. If you join this ministry, I'm going to give you the word because my opinion doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what Jesus has declared. James reiterates the importance of biblical application when he says that the blessing of God comes in the doing, not merely in the hearing or in the studying or in the memorizing or in the learning of scripture but in the doing. James 1, 21 through 25 you see failure of pastors to focus on the application of God's word means that their ministries are being built on sand applying human wisdom and not upon the rock of Jesus which is the uh, demonstration of applying divine wisdom which means that both their ministry and the lives of everyone in their congregation will become weak and not strong when the storms of life hit. It also means that the people likely will be powerless to bring God's presence into their circumstance since the word will not seem to be working for them. We need an ongoing growth in God's word to guide us. Psalm 19 is a reminder that the Bible can save us a lot of heartaches by giving us the ability to discern situations with godly wisdom and make God honoring choices Uh, We have to make our choice, make our thought, make our opinion, reflect or honor God in the things that we do. You see, God's word is right. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. Here David describes in verse 8, the Bible using a word that means the particulars of divine instruction. You see, sometimes God states explicitly what he does and does not want us to do while at other times he gives us a general principle that can apply to a multitude of situations and both of these styles are designed to govern our character and our conduct and both are equally Authoritative, you see, God's precepts just spell out things in more detail so that we can live a well-ordered life. One example of biblical uh, of a biblical precept can be found in Proverbs six one through five, where we are told not to become surety or what we would call a cosigner for a stranger's debt. The reason is obvious. If the borrower defaults on their debt, we will be left holding the bag and we will be responsible for the debt. And God's word tells us by the way of principle to be wise in how we handle our finances. But Proverbs 6 gets down to a specific case of avoiding the trap of being a guarantor, someone else's responsibility becoming yours. You see, the Lord's precept are always on target in sense they are always right. In Hebrew right means to show someone the correct path, the right way to go, the road he or she ought to take. You see God's precepts are right even when nobody else agrees that they're right. The gospel is foolishness to the unsaved world. 1 Corinthians 1 and 21 tells us that. But it is the right path to take. And following the right path your heart rejoices through the abiding presence and the provision that comes from God your heart is also able to maintain that joy by being protected from experiencing the consequences of living in opposition to the precepts of God Jesus spoke about two roads the broad road that is crowded but leads to destruction and the narrow road that has plenty of room because there are so few people traveling it. You'll find those roads in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. And God's word enables understanding. There is more good news found in Psalm 19. Because the word tells us the commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eye. You see commandment means the Bible's teachings are divine mandates. Yes I said it. Everything in the word of God is a divine Mandate God is not Giving you options He's not giving you a menu So you can choose to have it Your way but the divine Mandate of God Is not optional and it's Not a statement of his opinion God is not writing down Suggestions for you To consider and thoughts For you to ponder Many people think the Bible contains Ten commandments but but I'm here to tell you, David described all of the revelation of God as commandment that is binding on the life of a believer. There's not just one commandment, two commandment, 10 commandments, but everything in the word of God is a commandment. And the opposite of having our eyes spiritually enlightened is to have them darkened or blinded. Now, Jesus prayed in Matthew 11 and 24 I praise you Father Lord of heaven and earth and you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and having revealed them to infants the intelligent here are those who are wise in their own eyes and don't feel they need God's word to enlighten them but people who are dependent who are dependent on God gain insight and wisdom as God opens their eyes to his will and this guides and directs them it fills their life's plan and leads them to glory you can read about that in Ephesians 1 and 18 You see, God's word is clean. In verse 9, we read that the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Now, the word clean here simply means pure in that it speaks of an absence of impurity or defilement. God conveys his truth without flaw or blemish. Psalm 12 and 6 declares, the words of the Lord are pure words, refined seven times, the fear of the Lord is the rever- reverential uh, awe of God that the Bible inspires in those who love him and seek to live by his commandments and by his precepts. Essentially, to fear God means to take him seriously. Uh, the fear of God will last forever because even when we are in heaven with Jesus, God will not lose any of his majesty and we will not lose the awe in which he he wants us to hold in him in fact our awe of the Lord will be infinitely increased when we are with him in his uninterrupted holy presence and as the pure expression of God's heart and mind the Bible will also last forever forever O Lord your word is settled in heaven Psalm 119 and 89 the Bible is permanent and always relevant it will never go out of date or become out of style. God's word is righteous. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Now judgment refers to the ordinance or the divine verdict that's being issued from the bench of the supreme judge of the earth. God is not going to go back and forth depending who's sitting on the bench because he is the supreme judge. He has always been on the bench and he will always be on the bench. God is not waiting to retire from the bench. It doesn't matter what your position is on Roe v. Wade, but what we hear is there's a shaking in the court and they may move in their position. Now I'm not here to argue whether that's right or wrong, but what I want you to see is there is no uh, stability in the things that man determines. There's only stability in what God declares because God does not change. And I'm here to tell you that man may say something today but tomorrow it'll be something else. But I what I find is the Bible is, a, is our infallible standard for judging all of life situations because the Bible is the unadulterated truth of God. And you become right with God when you are Apply the Bible to your life. I also find that the word of God is sweet. Psalm 19 and 10 says the word of God is sweeter also than that of honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. That means it is better than any dessert you can dream of. I was just at Red Lobster the other day and I was sitting there imagining the chocolate wave cake that I was going to eat at the conclusion of my meal I was waiting for all that chocolate goodness to be heated up and that cold vanilla ice cream to be placed on the plate so that the heat and the cool can come together and provide my tongue with a flavor explosion but I want you to understand as sweet as that is there is nothing sweeter than the word of God have you you ever read a passage that became sweet to you in fact a number of prophets including Ezekiel and Jeremiah and even the apostle John are described as eating God's word which often tasted sweet like honey in order to then share that word with the people of God that's why the Bible invites us taste and see that the Lord is good Psalm 34 and 8 If you don't taste it You can't ingest it And if you don't ingest it It can have effect in your life We're not talking about Just reading the Bible But about tasting and savoring What God has said In such a way that When we speak of it to others They delight in what they hear I know As you're sitting there listening to me When I was describing The chocolate wave cake You are beginning to imagine it. You are beginning to picture it. And some of y'all even said in your heart, I might go to Red Lobster today. But oh, how sweet is the word of God. God's word protects. In the closing verses of 11 and 13 of Psalm 19 is where the psalmist continues with a tribute to the Bible's ability to protect every believer from sin, uh, uh, sin of every kind. This includes hidden fault, uh, uh, those deep down flaws that we may not be always aware of that can trip us up, uh, and presumptuous sin. That's those things that we plan and deliberately commit. You see, David's goal in this was to be blameless and acquitted of great transgression. I'm here to tell you. uh, that I've been acquitted of my transgression because my Savior lives. Over 2,000 years ago, God declared my sins to be carried out. And I can declare today that I am acquitted. You ought to put that in the notes. Uh, Then the song closes with a great prayer that expresses David's desire to respond properly to the wonderful truth that God's word was all he would ever need let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight oh Lord my rock and my redeemer clearly God's word is sufficient for every area of life and such should be the basis and the bedrock of everything you teach everything you write and everything you proclaim if you're a leader in the faith years ago there was a commercial for prego spaghetti sauce a mother is cooking the spaghetti and the pot is full of a vibrant red colored spaghetti sauce and the aroma it filled the house so up comes her son looking at his mother cooking the sauce and he asks the question Mom, where are the mushrooms? Because everyone knows if you're gonna have good. Spaghetti sauce, uh, it's got to have mushrooms in it. And the mom looks at her son and says, Son, it's in there. Ah, uh, then the son says, oh, but mom, the spaghetti sauce, uh, it needs some sausage. Ah, uh, because everyone knows if you want good spaghetti sauce, you gotta have some sausage in it. And mom looked at her son and said, Son, It's in there. Oh, the son says, What about the ripe tomatoes? You know, the ones that are growing in First Lady's garden. You know, them good, fresh tomatoes. Mom says, Son, don't worry about it. It's in there. And thus went the slogan Prego spaghetti sauce. It's in there. You see, Prego spaghetti sauce had kick and it had flavor because it had what it needed in there. Every time the boy looked for something to explain what he smelled, his mother would simply reply, it's in there. If you're looking for victory, I'm here to tell you, go to the word because your victory is in the word. If you're looking for transformation, I'm here to tell you, Go to the Word Because it's in there If you're looking for power I'm here to tell you That the power That's above every power It's in there If you're looking for deliverance It's in there If you're looking for healing It's in there If you're looking for peace It's in there If you're looking for direction It's in there If you're looking for hope It's in there If you want a brand new start, oh, I'm here to tell you, it's in there. The word has given you everything you need and you can tap into it through careful study and application of its truth. And you will find, like I have found, that everything you need Oh, what is it about the word? Everything you need, it's in there. Everything you need, it's in there. There's not one thing the word is lacking. Everything you need is in there. Hallelujah. Let the word of God minister to your life, not simply by reading it, but by applying it. Hallelujah. As long as you desire to stay you, you make ineffective the work of God in your life. But the moment you open your heart to God and say, God, make me all over. Make me new. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me Where I'm not like you Lord Make me like you What's in me that's not like you Remove it from me Lord I want to reflect you The moment you do that The great surgeon will come into your life With the application of his word And he will speak into your life Divine revival and restoration And you will begin to experience what it is to be whole before God. Hallelujah. What is it about the Word of God? What is it about the Word? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's so much I want to tell you about the Word of God because it's in there. There's nothing. I I would run out of words before I could describe everything that's in there. But I want you to know if you don't remember nothing else, you ought to remember this. Everything I need, it's in there. God bless you. Heaven smile upon you and grant to you great peace. You're going out and you're coming in. In you're rising up and in you're laying down in your labor and in your leisure and your laughter and in your tears until that great day when the sky cracks and the trump of the Lord sounds and we that are alive meet them that have died in Christ and we are forever with the Lord. May the spirit and the power of God keep you in the presence of his word. God bless you, people of God know that I'm praying for you and I love you. Hallelujah.